Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord in one, of, uh, one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let us, uh, well, let us, rather, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also in the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him, uh, exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, or should bow, in heavens and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more, uh, much more, rather, in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you live in our current society, you probably know that there are certain distinguishing marks on every single person. For example, if you are watching the news and you see someone dressed up from head to toe in red MAGA hats and so on, you don't look at that and say, well, he must be a Democrat. No, because you automatically, those marks tell, tell, tell you, rather, that they're a Trump supporter. If you are someone who dresses up in flannel shirts and drive an old pickup, you don't really think you're a bougie guy that lives in Bellevue, right? You most likely think that that person, where you, in this case, is someone who's maybe a lumberjack, unless you're in Seattle, and things are different, because people dress like that, but they're not. But I'm going to leave that for a different, I'm going to go into that one. But, right, so, so there's this distinguishing marks on how people dress, on how people act. If you see someone that has a tattoo that says, I love my mom, you don't suspect that they don't like their mom because people don't make those kind of marks on their body unless they really mean it, unless they get drunk and so on. But you guys get the point. Those marks are there to kind of point us in the right direction. And you know, a lot of times this leads into stereotyping people together and so on. But for the most part, there are distinction marks that show who you are. If you wear Gucci shoes and you drive a BMW or a Porsche, like at the end of the day, people don't look at you like, yeah, he must be a farmer. No, because those things point in the other direction. You most likely think that someone that maybe works in tech and so on. So the question then becomes, where are the distinguishing marks of a Christian? What are they? What should set us apart from the whole world? How can one look at a person and say they must be a Christian. And for a long time, I think, especially in the Slavic community, we thought that pointing to others that you're a Christian means to make sure that you wear a kars- karsinka, like you wear a cover it, or that you wear a cross, 
the point that you are a Christian, right? Where if you have, uh, <laughs> one time I was building a house and like, one thing that would just drive me crazy is when people come up to me and say, well, I'm a Christian, I'll give you a good deal. And I'm like, I don't know, because other people claim to be a Christian and they totally messed up the whole job, right? C.S. Lewis says that like, if you want to be a good Christian, if you want people to know that you're a good Christian, don't put crosses on your shoe shop. Make sure that you build the best shoes. Make sure that you're the greatest contractor they'll ever hire. Right, so, so by pointing to, hey, I have a Jesus sticker on my car, it doesn't automatically make you a Christian. One time I, uh, I had a sticker on my car that said, real men love Jesus. And I was driving by this uh, camera light, right, where you just got, you know, I didn't stop fully and I turned on red. So I got a ticket in the mail. I'm like, I'll just deny that it was me. That was before I was saved. Uh, but like, I was just like, and then I'm thinking, but, but I have, but I can see the sticker on my car that says real men love Jesus on the, on the photo. So, so obviously I can't lie because, because, but you know, you can have a sticker on your car and still not be a Christian. Uh, You heard the cliches, sitting in church doesn't make you a, a Christian, like sitting in the garage doesn't make you a car, right? Or sitting in the barn doesn't make you a horse, right? Like, like. Just because you placed yourself here on Sunday morning doesn't make you a Christ follower. So what makes a Christ follower? What makes someone that when people look at them say, well, they must be a Christian? What is the distinguishing mark of a church where a city would look into and say they must be Christ followers? Well, it's not really a trick question. I think the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus says exactly that. By this, all people will know you, or they will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So the distinction mark of a Christian is that they, everything about themselves is about portraying God's love to a broken humanity. Everything about a Christian that points in the other direction is not being a Christian. For example, if you spent three hours praying and that didn't cause you to love more, if that caused you to hate, that caused you to bring a division in the church, right? Of course, we got to unite around Christ and there's, there's a point for unity here. But at the end of the day, the things that we do, like study the word and praying and spending time in church, the things that we do when it comes to researching and podcasting and all of that should make us be more like Christ in every single thing that we do, more loving, more understanding. Yes, a lot of times being loving will, will be telling people the truth and people will get offended at that. But because you love them, you tell them the truth. So what is the distinguishing mark of a Christian? Is to love. Is to call so so your your prayer time, your study time, everything that you do that's supposedly supposed to be Christian should lead you to be more like Christ in everything that you do. It should make you more kind, more understanding, more gentle, all of the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the marks of a Christian. So should I go into how we're doing? Right? That's a minefield. <laughs> 
But I think first we need to establish what we should be. And then I think when God brings in his amazing light, we're able to see, God, we are falling so short of the glory that you were supposed to portray through us. We are falling so short of your standard. You know how we love one another in City on the Hill? Love is expressed in unity. Love is expressed in humility. Love is expressed in considering others' needs and interests above your own. That's not to be, you know, oh, I don't have any needs or I'm not going to attend to my needs. It's not that. It's just you need to consider other people's needs. All the service that we do, it's not because, oh, I'm just a, a good person. We'll get to that when, when we have those kind of attitudes. Everything that we do, when we give, when we serve, when we volunteer, that should be done in love because we consider others' interests more, than, more important than our own. So Philippians 2.1 says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the, of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord in a, of one mind. So Apostle Paul says there are things that are treasures in Christ. For example, encouragement in Christ. By being in Christ, we are able to be encouraged in a way that the world cannot be encouraged. Namely, because we get encouraged that this life is not all there is. That we have life after this one. You know, I uh, was telling the prayer, prayer uh, service that in 2017, I got diagnosed with a, they call it a lung nodule, and they didn't know if it was malignant, which means cancerous. And that was like just a really big shock, and I was like, I'm dying. You know, you have one of those moments, you're like, I got to say hi to everyone that I love and tell them that I appreciate them. But after that kind of wore out, I was like, okay, well, and I was uh, too afraid to go back to get another CT scan. So it took, they told me to go after six months. I, it took me three years, and uh, <laughs> I survived. Uh, and so I went a couple weeks ago, and they did a CT scan, and turns out I have five of them, and and uh, they're but they're benign, meaning that they're just scar tissue. They're not uh, apparently from a previous infection. They're not malignant. So that was a huge relief. But I was this. I had this anticipation. I'm like, man, I gotta live everything, every day to the fullest, because I don't know you could be gone tomorrow. Right. Right. As as Christians. We are encouraged in a way that the world is not being able to encourage because they think that life that we have here is all we got. So you better post on Instagram all your, your experiences and you, you got to squeeze everything out of every single trip because that's all you got. And then once your youth is gone, then you have nothing less. Not for a Christian. We get to live on past this. So there is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from His love. We are able to be when people blow up in our face and they hurl insults at us, that doesn't cause us a crisis of identity because we have a love that they know nothing about. So it's okay if, if people here reject you because we have a love that comes from above. That is a treasure that we have in Christ. We have a treasure like being able to participate in the Spirit of God, being able to have the Holy Spirit in us that convicts us of our sin that wakes us up, but also at the same time, he, he encourages us, he comforts us, he also warns us about things to come. 
right? That is a treasure that we have in Christ. We have an affection and sympathy for one another and for Christ. And we also are being shown affection and sympathy from the church of God, from his body, from Christ, from the Holy Spirit. Those are treasures. And Apostle Paul says, look, because we have these treasures in Christ, we should be all in unity. So he, verse 2 says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one of mind. You know, for us to be able to be united or to walk in uni- unity, it takes humility. You can't, have, you, you, you can't have unity when everyone acts like a prima donna. Right, like where they, they're the ones who, it's all about me. I have to be in charge. I have to tell people what to do. Imagine if, if a basketball, you know, team or a football team or any kind of team, if everyone decided to be the, the star of the show for that game. They wouldn't win because, because everyone's trying to do this in their own interest, not in the interest of the team. What we do in church Right? Pastor Vasily, I think, brought this example that I think is so awesome where it says, the bees, all of them work together to produce honey. And a bee cannot look at the honey and says, okay, that was my part that I contributed because it's all melted together. Right? right? So, so when, we com- when it comes to church in general, when we look at what God is doing amongst us and God is raising up his church, we can't look at that and say, yep, that was because of me because everything is now united everything you you don't really know the full effect of your ministry you don't really know the full rewards of your ministry somebody comes and plants another person comes and waters and god grows right says have one mind so this is the first point is if we gonna be christ followers we need to walk in unity So walk in unity and have the same mind, right? Verse three, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than others. Let let each one of you not only look to his interests, but also in the interest of others. So verse three tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is, is when somebody doesn't care about the cause, they care about kind of like making themselves look either more financially stable or maybe more famous. So they're doing this from a heart of, I'm doing this for myself. Think of one great example that I heard is a mercenary. A mercenary is a person who is hired to go and fight a war that he doesn't believe in or she doesn't believe in. But they go because they are paid. And they always say, watch out for the mercenaries because the mercenaries, the, the moment the, the fight gets intense, they're like, you know, it's just a job for me. I'll just drop this off and move on. A mercenary doesn't care about whatever the, the cause of the war is. Maybe the cause of the war is freedom. Maybe the cause of the war is to, you know, bring a, a democracy and be, people be able to vote, whatever the, the cause of the war is. Now, there's, there's causes that are not worthy of, of war, but whatever. The point is, a mercenary does not care about the cause. They're there to get a paycheck. So selfish ambition is someone doing ministry because they think, oh, being in front of people and talking is like a TED talk 
and I want to do that because I want to tell people what to do because I'm a, such an expert. That's not what preaching is. What if you want to preach because you look cool with a headset mic? Well, thank you. <laughs> I tried. No, that's not the point. The point of doing preaching is because you care about people and you see a broken world that is going to hell and you want God to partner up with you and bring God's hope to a hopeless generation. That's why we're do what we do what we do. So do nothing from selfish un- ambition or mercenary heart, spirit, whatever you want to, or, uh, or motivation. Work conceit. Conceit is sort of an empty glory. You want to show off your skills. You know, it's like me coming here and saying, look how great I am, guys. I'm just, I'm doing this whole Christianity thing. This, oh, this is awesome. I'm not an expert in this. But what I'm hoping you to hear is what God says in this whole chapter. What I'm hoping to, to, to portray is that I'm not preaching myself, my experience here, but I'm preaching Christ. That is the, the reason why we do it. What I'm hoping to say is not for you to think that I'm cool or anybody that is on stage or a worship team is cool, but the fact that we are preaching his word and we are hoping that the Holy Spirit will come and revive people and people will get to hear the gospel and lives will be transformed and they will spend eternity with the Lord. So don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you not only uh, not look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So we are told to not do things from selfish ambition or empty glory. And we are told to look for other people's interest. Now, when it comes to humility, a lot of people think that humility is to always talk down of yourself. I, you probably heard the cliche that it's not thinking of yourself less. Right? What is humility? Uh, especially like when it comes to young adults. Um, by the way, my name is Slavic. I'm a young adults pastor. <laughs> I should have done that at the beginning. Uh, but when it comes to young adults, especially when they first encounter the gospel and they see and they're like, okay, we've got to be humble. And they're like, you know what? Um, Guys, I just want to tell you that uh, God has been really convicting me. And because God has been really convicting me, it's all him. It's not me. But I want to tell you the, the, the major work that I've been doing. And God is really, and somebody's like, well, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, I'm, I'm not done talking. So God is doing such a work in me. And I'm so good at preaching. Like I wasn't so good back then, but I'm very good at preaching now. But it's all God. It's not me. So I, I'm thinking about taking worship, you know, and maybe being part of that and maybe serving, but it's, you know, it's all God. It's not me. It's not me. But when it comes to me, like the, 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 the Trinity, me, myself, and I, uh, like, like the, that kind of, kind of mentality where you try to be humble, yet all you do you, is you talk about yourself and it's self-focused and you maybe throw, you know, sort of a bone to God when it comes to his glory and be like, oh, it's all God. It's not me. But you're so focused on yourself. It's all God. It's not me. But it's all about you. It's all about your struggles. It's all about you. You know, it's all about, you know, your relationships and what you're going through. It's not about, hey, what are we doing as a church? Does anybody else need my help right now? Humility is not necessarily to declare how humble you are. Or it's not self-deprecating. 
Humility is to sit in a conversation and forget by yourself and say, I'm totally interested in you. And to, I want to know your struggles. How can I pray for you? This week I met with a young man and like he kept on asking me to meet up and I was just like, I kept on ignoring it because I was on the trip or this or that or that. And then I was like, what am, why am I, I'm a pastor. Why am I doing this? So then I decided to meet up and I remember I was just eating my lunch and I'm like, okay, on this lunch, I'm going to leave my phone. No matter who calls, who texts, I'm not picking up. And you know, like when you have calls from work or from church or whatever, right? Like, and I'm like, I'm going to be totally here. So this person shows up and I pull my food away, put my phone away and I'm just looking at them and I'm like, so what have you been going through? And before they even said one word, they just started crying. And they literally had to get up and walk away and then come back. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, do I? And then I just walked out of that and I was checking all my text messages and whatever. And then I remember how the Lord just, I don't know if this is exactly what it was, but I just felt like maybe this is the first time that somebody actually looked at them and gave them full attention. I don't know what it was, but I suspect that maybe that had something to do with it. Humility is to forget about what you're going through where you're going through your needs, your problems, and to say, hey, what are your interests? What are you going through? How can I pray for you? People on my text messages and my phone calls, they can wait. I'm here for you. Putting your interests above others, that's not humility. If you are sitting with someone at lunch and all you're doing is you're checking your text messages, you're just telling them, or you, even if you put your phone on the table, doesn't matter you still tell them that that phone call, that Facebook notification, the moment it comes in, it's more important than what we have going on here. This is something that God has been convicting me of, and I hope that maybe we can change the culture that we live in, right, and be present when somebody's going through a really difficult time. And to celebrate the joys when, when somebody's rejoicing and to also share the morning when somebody's going through a difficult time. And, hey, I'm, I'm just here just to hear you out. We are told in 1 Peter 1.16 says this, You shall be holy because I am holy. We are told that God is holy and we've sort of taken that word and we associated holiness with righteousness. Supposedly that holy is just to like, oh, I'm just holier than thou. Like it's, I'm so much better than you. No, holy is to be different, to be set apart. So when people look at you and say, there's, there's, I don't know what it is, I can't define it, but that, that person is different. The way they care about people, the way they love people, there has to be, I don't know, what do they know that I don't know? Holiness is to be unlike the world and to be like God. So, number one is to walk in unity and have the same mind. But for us to have the same mind, we have to walk in humility. The key to one mind is to walk in humility. And verse 5 says this, have this mind amongst yourself. So which mind? So yes, we agree, okay, we're going to be in unity, but which mind are we talking about? What are the distinguishing marks of that mind of, of, of a Christian, right? Or of a church being together, a community of believers. What is that mind? Verse 5, have this mind among you, amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though, who though 
he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So which mind are we talking about? Apostle Paul gives us this beautiful description of what Christ has done for us. He says that God, Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now we when we think of the word grasped is Jesus was trying to reach equality with God. That's not what, he, what this passage says. No, Jesus, before he was human, he is God. And he was equal with God. And this, this, this passage here that says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, what this means is God, Jesus, did not use the privilege of him being God for his reasons. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God, who created the universe, who created the galaxies, who created the atom in the galaxies, right? That God squeezed all that glory. Just like, you know, when you're trying to put on a shoe that's too tight for you, and it's not a uh, pleasant experience by any means, or a stretch of imagination, that God condensed all that glory and decided to become a helpless baby, to call on the form of a servant. So tell that the next time your pastor tells you that you should put the chairs away and you're like, well, but I'm just not called to that. <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, I was hoping that giving my, my experience and my talents uh, and my understanding of theological, you know, issues that I'd be up there with you preaching, right? Like, like if God who was in glory did not look at that as something to use on himself for himself, became like one of us that we might know him that we might have everlasting life. So Apostle Paul is saying, look, you have no excuse. You, you cannot, if God himself did this for us, how can you say that any job in ministry or any person is not worth your time or your experience? We leave our experience at the door or at least our privilege to our experience at the door if you are a famous person or if you are made it, you know, and you have money or whatever the privilege that you have, that God has given you your talents, right? Like whatever you have, not to use it on yourself, but to say, I will put others' interests above my own. Now, of course, I'm not going to neglect my interests. We don't need a government party or organization to tell us what we need to give. No, we need to be Christians because that is where our allegiance lies. We should treat our minorities and our and different races and whatever kinds of people we encounter with love and gentleness because Christ, when we were still sinners, loved us. And we should give not because we're compelled by taxes and government, but because Christ gave for us. That is 
what Apostle Paul sa- is saying here. God himself emptied himself of all his privileges and said that I'm going to take on a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Not only did Jesus come, but he humbled himself to the point of death and death on a cross. That is the amazing thing about our Lord and Savior Jesus. And because he has done that, we should follow in his footsteps. We should be in the, I would say a better understanding would be to have the same mind. Not necessarily, oh, do like Jesus. Remember the, the bracelets, what would Jesus do, right? I think a better understanding would be to have the same mind of Christ. Not just to try to be like him, but to think the way he thinks. To move towards the broken and to the, to the, the, the fringe of people that nobody cares about. Jesus, who though he was considered, you know, even here on earth, a great teacher, would go and touch the lepers who no one was allowed to touch were the widows, were the orphans. Tell that to the person who wants to be in charge of a church. You know, in, 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 the, in the business world, you have the CEO on top, and then you have like the general managers, and then you have the managers, and then you have your workers. Jesus came and sort of flipped that upside down, said the greatest of you will serve the rest of you. Jesus himself humbled himself to wash the disciples' feet. How mind-blowing is that? The God of the universe washing the feet of sinners. Jesus himself was okay with, with death on the cross. No, I mean, it was hard. Remember Gethsemane. But he put the interest, our interest, above what he felt at that moment and went to the cross. I like to say every single time when somebody, when I ask them, hey, you, you should forgive. And they're like, but you don't understand the pain that I'm going through. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't, honestly. Like, I don't understand. But I'm going to take you to the cross. And you tell that to Jesus. You see those nail-spierced hands. And while he's hanging on the cross, he looks at you and says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Right? Can you tell, can you go to the cross and say, well, but Jesus, you don't understand my pain. And they're like, well, I'm not Jesus. And I'm like, well, yeah, but we are called to have the same mind as Christ. Now, question then becomes, how far will you go? You will, will be here and serve as long as it's convenient. I'm going to pause for effect there and make everyone feel awkward. You will literally say yes as long as nothing else better comes along. And so many times, like, I'll go up and ask someone, like, hey, you promised you're going to be in help out. Why, why aren't you at church? Why didn't you help out? You don't, but you don't want to understand, like, like, something came up. And I'm like, but you said you'll be here. And usually they're kind of like, you don't know me. Like, I have things to do, important things to do. Is your integrity, is your word that you said you're going to be here so easily broken? We will serve as long as it's not inconvenient for us. We will do things as long as they don't, you know, well, I have a schedule conflict. Um, I just had this 
coffee thing that I'm supposed to meet up with a person. And it's not anything spiritual. It's just like business related. But I scheduled it and and just so happens that I committed to the church thing. Now, the point here is not to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying that if Jesus was willing to go to the cross and we are willing to cancel something just because it's an inconvenience to us, that just tells me that we are very mature in our faith. You can imagine a parent doing that. Like, I didn't know that kids come with, like, sleepless nights. What the heck? <laughs> I'm not a parent, but I have parents. And my mom raised the seven of us. And all of us are very different and very rowdy. And very problematic. But apparently, there's no better sanctification than that part, <laughs> being a parent, right? <laughs> when you constantly give... And it's not returned until they turn like 30 and you're like, Dad, Mom, I fully understand what you're talking about. And they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had that awkward conversation with my parents. <laughs> and I don't have kids yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so we are told to have the same mind as Christ. Verse 9. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow, or should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So it says, Jesus humbled himself, but God does what he does. Luke 14, 11 says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right, so, so God in his nature, the person who, who humbles themselves, I will naturally raise up. And the person who naturally tries to do things out of selfish ambition or conceit, God will oppose you. God opposes the proud. And you wonder why things don't work? Maybe it's because you haven't been walking in humility you wonder why God hasn't raised you to a different kind of ministry? Maybe it's because you've been exalting yourself. He says God opposes the proud. So the natural thing happens when a person humbles. He says the verse 8 here, right? Like he says that God, Jesus, became so obedient to the point of, cro of the cross. And then verse 9 says, therefore God, therefore, so, so what happened this verse this is a result of, of what happened in this verse. Says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, of course, none of us are like Jesus in the fact that he died and he gave his life as ransom for all of us. So we'll never be what this verse really describes. But the natural implication here is that if you are walking in humility, there will be a day that you'll reign with him in glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you have the mind of Christ now, and if you're walking in humility, the natural thing that God will do is in his glory, you're going to share that with him. Of course, I'm not preaching here, you know, you're a God theology. That's that's heresy. I'm not saying that you're going to be God. What I'm saying is you will be sharing in his glory. 
God changes your position here. He changes your heart here. And because he's changed your position in relationship to, to him, you'll also get to spend time with him in eternity and sharing his glory. I remember um, when we were kids, we would go to the landfill because that's what you do when you're broke and you're really poor. You go to garage sale, so whatever. But like, the point is we went to this landfill and we were looking for things to just bring home. And it just so happens that I found this tiny puppy and it was scared and I brought her home and somehow this puppy trusted me, but it had trust issues, massive trust issues. Um, and I remember the first night you would not stop howling, crying, whatever you want to call it. And I could not sleep. And it was just like, my mom was like, if you don't do something. <laughs> so I just took, took this puppy in the house and, and things just sort of change almost drastically. And in the next few days, that became one of our best dogs ever that we ever had. Because the position of that dog changed automatically, he got adopted into our family. Yeah, there were some still things that persisted like trust issues for a while, but then when they realized that, hey, here, I can walk in confidence that nobody's gonna hit me. I can walk in confidence that tomorrow I'm gonna find something to eat. It just opens up, and I'm, I'm talking about a, a, a dog here, right? But just to illustrate a point, that when we were without Christ, we were scared, we were hopeless, we were at, at a landfill, and Christ has found us and adopted us into his family. And because he adopted us into his family, we naturally benefit from the benefits and the privilege of the family. Because he has changed us positionally, we are able to share in his glory. That is the hope that we have in Christ. But, as hopeful as that sounds, the next two verses come. And the next two verses Verse 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Basically, he's saying here, when I was with you, you really did this very well. But because I'm God now, you should do even better. Well, he's saying like, you should obey the way you obeyed then, but even better now because I'm gone. And you have to walk on your own, right? He says, and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like what in the world? <laughs> Read that again, right? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Wait, so I'm supposed to work it out. Okay, got it. With fear and trembling. Okay, got it. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are told to work out our salvation because God works in us. Wh wh which one is it then? Is it God working in me or is it me working out? Like, kind of confusing, isn't it? Some people take this verse and mean it to say like a religious sort of interpretation where you're just kind of like, I just got to do things for God. You know, like <laughs> especially young people, like, you know, I just want to do things for God. I want to go on a mission trip. And I'm like, you should go on a mission trip, but that trip's going to be more, way more for you than for God. Trust me, that trip will change you. You know, like you can't do anything that God will be like, wow, I haven't seen that one before. That's impressive. Did you like, did you have help? 
Was it like a like by yourself project? Or was it like a team project? You can't do anything to impress him. So, so what is this work out your salvation part? Philippians 1, 6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to completion on that day of Jesus Christ. He says, we are told that God has started a work in us and he will complete that work in us. Well, what this means is basically God has raised us from our pit, from our landfill. God has changed, you know, the inside. But now we have to walk that out. You know, it, it amazes me. Like, I would think that if Jesus came here on earth, when he came here on earth, rather, and he is talking to his disciples, Jesus could essentially snap his fingers and everyone's made perfect and let's go to heaven and we're good. No, it would have be, been so much easier. Honestly, not having to deal with people because churches, they're perfect unless people, when people start coming, that's when churches sort of, right? Like, when we come to Jesus, we see that Jesus constantly would ask a person to say, can you bring those uh, jars and fill them? And then he would do his miracle. Right, where, where Jesus would say, bring that person over here. Jesus always would partner up with a person so everyone would see a miracle. Maybe not all, all the time. But to me, it's interesting the fact that Jesus had the potential or the power to, to snap everyone in perfection, but he didn't do that. He allowed for us, imperfect as we are, and the chaotic of our relationships in church, to learn how to forgive one another, to learn how to pray for one another, how to bring hope and restoration to our communities. So God, yes, changes our inside. God is the one who does. And look at verse 13, it says, is, is, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It says, who changes the desires? It's both God that does to will and to work in you for his good pleasure. So he changes your will or your desire. And also, he gives you the ability to do the good work that he's called you. So he changes your desire and he also gives you the ability. He changes the desires and gives you the ability. God works in us, but if you refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, if you're just constantly fighting God at every single corner. Now, I, I know that God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. I'm not saying that you can stop him and so on. But God is not here like C.S. Lewis says. He didn't come to ravage. He came to woo. He wants you, or your free will and volition, to follow him, to love him. So, yes, God is the one who changes your desires. God is the one who gives you the ability, but it's your job to work that out. It's your job to physically place yourself in a place where you can hear his word. It's your job to, you know what, put away the distractions when you sit to, down with someone and say, hey, wait, what, what are you going through? You are his hands. You are his feet. You are God's mouthpiece. 
God works through his church. I know in the U.S. government, there's three branches of, of government. One of them is legislation. They make the laws. Then you have the executive who enforce the laws. And then the judicial who basically kind of weigh in if you follow the law or not. So in the case of people that speed, if you broke the speed limit and you were speeding, someone wrote the law, the police officer enforced the law, and then you went to court because you're trying to fight that ticket off. Right? Jesus on the cross legislated our freedom. He gave us a way to not perish in our sins, but spend eternity with him. Not only that, he gave us the power to not walk in bondage and in, in, in addictions and sins. He gave us the power to walk away from all of that. He also brought healing in our bodies and our souls. But the church on the earth right now is kind of the executive branch of this whole thing. The church ought to run out and encounter these needs and fulfill the needs of the people. In the church, we have, we claim to have people that God has transformed their hearts. And now we have to walk that out and how we love our city and how we serve. And I think for that to happen in Bellevue, it needs to start first here in how we serve in this house and then in small groups and then in our families and then from our families and our jobs and our careers, colleges. And from that point on, our neighborhoods and our, you know, people you're in close proximity with. And so many t times we just sort of like, you know, I, I, I want to change the world. You know, like, could you, just, could you just start by having the Lord change you first? Because what you're saying right now, I know you think it's good, but it's most likely driven by selfish ambition. It's, you want to be cool. You want to be noticed. You want to be seen. And we are told that like Christ, who gave up his privilege, his glory, came and became, became like one of us. Like Christ, who washed our feet, who healed and restored us, we are to walk in the same mind. So what are the distinguishing marks of a Christian? Is people that walk in the love of Christ and unity and humility. And just like people can tell us who we are by the way we dress, by the way we talk. I mean, I have an accent. I think most of our speakers have accent, except Pastor Dave. He doesn't have an accent. He has an American accent, and that's not an accent. That's, that's just what it is. Um, like, so, so we can tell who we, okay, maybe you're Russian, Belarusian, American by the way we talk, by the way we walk. That's how people should see that we are his followers. But the way we care about one another, but the way we care about our city, by the way we care about the lost, 
because Christ has changed our mind, because Christ came and served us, we should extend that to our community. Thank you for listening to this podcast. My hope is that this message inspired you to live in light of eternity. Please make sure to subscribe and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review this podcast. If you have an event that you'd like me to speak at, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website. You can also support this ministry via Patreon or the website. Thank you again and God bless.